Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 through 49, with Pastor John King. Well, good morning. How's the temperature in here? You guys good? I see coats on, coats off. Do you want me to turn up to 75? Oh, I didn't think so. Okay. We'll just leave it right where it is then. Ah, yes. Well, today uh, we're going to continue. We're going to finish up the uh, second chapter of Daniel. We'll be in verses 44 through 49. And uh, while you're turning there, just a reminder from last week, that's when we saw Daniel having received from God the meaning and the explanation of the king's dream. Nobody else could tell him. But he now told the king exactly what he had seen, and he gave him an explanation of precisely what it meant, both for Nebuchadnezzar and for the coming world kingdoms. The great image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream depicted a time in history that Jesus referred to as uh, the period or the times of the Gentiles, which he mentioned in Luke 21, 24. The times of the Gentiles began in 605 BC when the Babylonian army took Jerusalem and exiled thousands of her inhabitants, as we read. The times of the Gentiles will end at Jesus' second coming immediately after the seven-year tribulation. So this week, we pick up near the end of Daniel's dream interpretation. We've already covered four successive kingdoms, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, and two aspects of the Roman Empire, both the historical Rome, which was represented last week by the legs of iron, and the future restored Roman Empire, represented by the ten toes of the feet that are mixed with iron and clay. We will now see the climax of these times of the Gentiles coming to an end with the establishment of the fifth and final kingdom set up by the God of heaven. And this is a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for our time today. And Lord, we ask that you would put it upon our hearts uh, just to ask you maybe the question, what is it that I can glean? What can I learn from these great prophecies? What kind of encouragement can I bring? What kind of, uh, what kind of strength can it bring to my faith, Lord, as, as you predict the end of times? You, you predict the end of the times of the Gentiles. Lord, you, you see into the future, and Lord, you reveal that to us here in your word today through the prophet Daniel. And so, Lord, just help us to be humble to know, you know, that you are so sovereign, you're so in charge of everything. We live, Lord, as you know, in a world of chaos and confusion, and yet we come here today to seek truth, to be apart from that noise and that distraction. Lord, we come here to seek your face and to hear your word. So Lord, let my words not be the ones that are spoken, but your words spoken to each and every person here. And we pray this now in Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's look at our passage today. As you guys know, we, we had to kind of, uh, instead of trying to cover all the kingdoms, if you will, all the future kingdoms, we decided we would pick it up today in verse 44 of Daniel 2, and it reads, 
In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So here we see, uh, again, this final kingdom, and it's an eternal kingdom. He says, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will, be, will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. What's he referring to? Well, this is referring to the coming millennial kingdom or reign of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is the answer to the prayer that many of you have grown up with. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Revelation chapter 20, we obviously don't have time to go through that chapter today. That's not our, our text for today. But if you want to read about the millennial kingdom, if you want to get a very comprehensive look in 15 action-packed verses, if you will, of Revelation chapter 20, you will read of the millennial kingdom. One of those verses is Revelation 24, as you see. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God the tribulation martyrs, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's what the millennium is. It's a thousand year period of time. And it says in the text that in the days of these kings, now obviously this is a reference to the kings represented by the feet and the ten toes, the revived Roman Empire, which will be led by the Antichrist. Because the first four kings were not in existence at the same time. And it says in our text that the God of heaven will set these things up. The God of heaven will establish a kingdom. When we get to chapter 11 here in the book of Daniel, we'll take another look at these same kings and kingdoms from another aspect. But we know that Jesus will return. While this last worldly kingdom is in power, he will establish his sovereignty for all eternity. He says it is a kingdom. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Something to make sure that you remember that this is not a spiritual kingdom. This is an earthly and a visible kingdom. 
that was repeatedly looked for by the Jews in the Old Testament, and especially by his disciples during his earthly ministry. You can read all through the Old Testament. One, one verse, First uh, Chronicles 29.11, King David says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. This is a real, visible kingdom. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 11 through 12, we have a part of the parable of the minas, the parable of the stewards. And you see here, it says, Now as they heard these things, Jesus, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said to them, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now from this parable we learned that Jesus is that certain nobleman who has gone into a far country, heaven. We know that he's ascended into heaven. And he's going to receive the kingdom from the Father. And that he is, once he's received it, at God's timing, in God's timing, in second coming, he will return. Now our text for today says it's a kingdom established by God of heaven set up, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. From Daniel 7.14 it says, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. God's kingdom will endure forever. No earthly power will ever be able to conquer or remove God's kingdom. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will establish an indestructible kingdom that will last forever. Notice that it says, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. At this point in history, where we're at in the future, at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus comes and visibly his second coming and the entire world sees, man's ability to rule and to govern himself will have been proven once again to be an ultimate and terrible failure. Men will never get another chance to prove God on this truth. You see, we know that these kingdoms, by looking at these kingdoms, these ancient kingdoms, we know from how we live today in our world, this vast world, this globe of 8 billion plus people and several hundred nations, that nations are not eternal. Nations rise and nations fall, even the greatest of them. The only thing that's eternal is you and I, people, people made in God's image. And so you will either go into eternity and spend your eternal life with Jesus Christ, having received him as Lord and Savior, or you will go to eternal damnation, you will go to hell. Because that's what's eternal. And God's kingdom, his rule is eternal. But these man-made, man-directed 
Satan-controlled governments that rule this entire world, and it's tough to think of that, because we, we want to acknowledge that Satan is the ruler over the governments, but we've got to remember that there are people there, people that God loves, people that, want, that God wants to see into his kingdom. And so we have to be able to separate the nations and the governments that are ruled and controlled by Satan from the people that God has chosen to redeem and call. So God's kingdom, when he establishes his kingdom, will endure forever. And it will not be left to other people. It won't be passed down to the next generation. It says that it, the kingdom, shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. What I just said, it will destroy. God's kingdom will triumph over all other kingdoms, crushing and shattering them. All the evil nations of the earth will face the judgment of God to be brought to an end. God himself will then establish his kingdom on earth. Zechariah 14.9 And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, in that day it shall be the Lord is one, and his name one. This coming kingdom in verse 45, you could refer to it as the stone kingdom. Not the stone age. That may or may not have happened. But the stone kingdom. It says in verse 45, Insomuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, now the stone is a clear picture of Jesus Christ. He alone is the cornerstone of God's work on earth. The stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, indicating that it's spiritual. It's a supernatural symbol that can only come from God. He is the shepherd. He is referred to as the stone of Israel in Genesis 49.24. Isaiah 28.16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Think of all the hymns that have been written just from those few passages. And it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, sort of from the bottom up now. It shattered that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw representing those great nations. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, speaking of the end times, verses 24 and 25, he says, Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father and he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Anybody, all these governments and systems of government that think they're in control and think they're in charge, well, God in Jesus is going to put an end to all of that. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So he broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God, it says in our passage, has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Now, folks, 
if, if you, uh, I, I believe most of, most of you believe that the Bible is infallible. It's inerrant. It doesn't make any mistakes. It is the true word of the living God. And so if he says that the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure, then you can bet that it is. And we've noticed along our way, just shortly here into Daniel, that the prophecies of Daniel are so accurate that many scholars have tried to say, oh, he couldn't have written it in his day. He had to have written it later on when these things came to pass, because the things that came to pass were true. They were certain. And the interpretation that was given was sure. Notice how Daniel says, the great God has made known. So Daniel cites his source. <laughs> and he says this dream is certain. That means it's true. It's absolutely reliable. Its interpretation is sure. In other words, it's trustworthy. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, what's called the model prayer, you simply cannot avoid the implication of this coming kingdom. Luke eleven two four. 4, he says, So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So he's talking about the future and the present, day to day. Talking about our enemy, the devil. If you look at the same verse or the same teaching in Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 13, there's an ending. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So every time you say the Lord's Prayer, you can think, you know, this is a prophetic word given to us by God for us to look forward to. Now, Daniel has just taken King Nebuchadnezzar on a prophetic journey. He's taken him up to the last kingdom who, which, which will rule on earth. The times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And as we said, Luke 21, 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive unto all nations or into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jesus gave them a, a little glimpse of the future, what would have happened. We know that the nation Israel was sacked and destroyed in AD 70. We know that the nation Israel, uh, Jews were scattered all over the planet. But we also know that we have a unique situation in our lifetime. The nation Israel was reformed in 1948. So while we're on the subject, uh, not so much the nation Israel, let, let's talk about this thing that we call the millennium. Here at Calvary Chapel, we are a uh, when it comes to end times eschatology, in our statement of faith, you will read it, that we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, seven years. The church will be taken up at the beginning of the rapture, not the middle. We believe that this pre-tribulation uh, time, this tribulation time of seven years, will be pre-millennial. So we're pre-millennialists. Not everybody in the body of Christ is a pre-millennialist. You have all millennialists, you have a few other ones. 
But we believe that the millennium is real and it's yet to come. So let's, let's talk about that. What and, and where and when is this final kingdom which will never be destroyed that we're talking about? First of all, we need to know that it's been purchased, but its manifestation has been delayed. John the Baptist announced in Matthew 3.2, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And later, Jesus himself would make the same announcement many times during his ministry. We just went through the book of Mark, and we saw that. And we also know that he gave it the same command to his disciples. When he sent them out, when he sent out the 12, and when he sent out the 70, he told them to say this to the Jews. He said, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to these Gentile cities. Go only to the nation Israel, to the Jews. And he said, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So that message was slightly different than our great commission. Okay, After he died on the cross, he said, go into all the world, all the earth, and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we know that this king was at hand. He was born a king. He came, but he was rejected by the Jews and crucified. And we're going to take communion today in preparation for what he's going to tell us about that. He predicted that. And this visible earthly kingdom spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament was postponed. Now, there are some who object to the postponement theory. That doesn't mean we love them any less. People have different views. And they claim that the kingdom which was at hand, that was announced, was not an outward visibly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom and that it has not been withdrawn, but it is seen today in newborn believers. So they start to make a good point. They base their claim on the fact that the earthly, visible kingdom of Christ could not be set up until after he had suffered and died on the cross as the Savior of men, and risen from the dead, and ascended to the Father, and received the kingdom. And so what they say is, therefore, in light of that position... To offer an outward, visible, and earthly kingdom at that time was not a bona fide offer. And that John the Baptist and even Jesus must have meant by the kingdom of heaven something else than an outward, visible kingdom. Now you will recognize this this position if you get into any kind of a discussion with people in the body of Christ, I'm not talking about salvation. This is not a salvation issue. And they might tell you, well, no, we, we believe that the kingdom is now. It's called dominion theology. We believe that the church is going to make such a powerful impact on society at large, all throughout the earth, that we will finally prepare the earth for the return of Jesus. That's, that's kingdom now. That's dominion theology. And there are a lot of Jesus-loving brothers and sisters who do believe that. But, folks, I'm teaching you this because here we are in the Bible. We need to understand. Uh, they, they may not even teach from the book of Daniel. They may not even teach prophecy. But we are talking about prophecy. And so I want to make clear to you and to myself what we believe. Now, the Old Testament scriptures teach us that there is to be an earthly and visible kingdom over which the Son of Man is to rule. And there are several passages. 
This passage, Daniel 7, Jeremiah 23, Zechariah 14, 9, I mean, there's tons of them. And we know that at the time of Jesus' birth, there was a widespread expectation of the coming of the Messiah. We're getting ready to come into our Christmas season again. And that Simon and Anna waited in the temple for the consolation of Israel was spoken of in Luke 2.25. We are also told of the wise men who came from the east to Jerusalem inquiring, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? And when they found Jesus, Jesus, what did they worship him as? They didn't worship him as their savior. They worshiped him as king. Because these, these wise men who just, you know, they were guided by a star. It was a supernatural guiding of these wise men. Amazing story. They expected to see an earthly and visible kingdom. And that's why Jesus, you know, his disciples are continually saying, when are you going to come and wipe out these Romans and take over? When are you going to bring the kingdom right here on earth? And there's no question that Jesus was born to be a king. And it wasn't until Jesus was 30 years old that John the Baptist appeared at the Jordan River. And remember, he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we were told that John the Baptist's mission was to prepare the way of the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. He was faithful to do that. There are also many instances during Jesus' ministry when people wanted to make him their king. They wanted to place him on the throne of Israel. They wanted to put him in charge as David, as David was. Because the Jews look up to David. King David was you know, one of their primary figures of their greatness of their past. And now they're being you know, oppressed by the Roman government. And so they would try to take Jesus even by force. You remember the story after the feeding of the 5,000. John 6.15, it says this, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. The reason for that is because he's he's not going to receive the kingdom from people. He's going to receive the kingdom from God the Father, just as the scriptures say. Now, when he was referred to as king, Jesus never denied it. But to have received the kingdom from them would have been wrong. For he is to receive, as we said, the kingdom from the Father and not from men. And we'll read about that in Daniel 7 as well. Also keep in mind that God's plan and purpose for all of history is based on his foreknowledge of what the nation Israel would do. They rejected the king and the kingdom, yet God had a gracious plan that would result in the formation of what we have today, and that's the church. And another thing we need to understand in our eschatology is that there is a difference between the nation Israel, the, the, the spiritual Israel that's to come, and the church. Because at the rapture, who's going to be taken away? The church. So there is a difference. The church was purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 28, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 21. It was necessary that Jesus should be rejected and crucified and that by his own nation, 
It would be done. It would have to be, it was necessary. You know, even to, for, for God's plan, the prophet Zechariah and, and Zechariah 12.10 foretold that the Jews should look upon him whom they had pierced. It's all prophetic. We see it. I'm, I'm of the camp, if you will, if you, you know, and sometimes people get offended by that idea. But there are different positions in the body of Christ. We have to recognize that to be true. And we, you know, this whole, whole idea of, oh, we can't ever differ in our opinions. No, we can. Because what it does is it helps us to understand why we believe what we believe. It's not that we're to, uh, and there's things we shouldn't divide over, and, and this, is, this is certainly one of them. We should never divide over. But I'm of the camp that says, we cannot take something from Scripture that belongs in the past or that belongs in the future and try to place it into the present. We're not to do that. There is a distinction in Scripture between the times of the Gentiles, which is present and has to do with the church and the nation Israel, which is present but is not yet repented nationally. It's a Zionist movement right now. It's a political movement, all those people going back to Israel. And they haven't repented. But this will happen in the tribulation. The nation Israel uh, will return and he will establish his visible earthly kingdom after the nation Israel has repented. And we will see that. If you, if you come out on Wednesday nights, uh, you'll have seen us going through that on our uh, study of, through the David Jeremiah's book, uh, book of Signs. So again, what is the millennium? Well, it is, if you're taking notes, it's the visible, earthly, 1,000-year reign of Jesus beginning at his second coming. Revelation 19, 11, and 21. Where is it? It's going to start in Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, 4. And in that day, the second coming of Jesus, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it towards the south. So when he sets his foot and he splits the Mount of Olives, he's made his, his time known. So this is where it's going to happen. When's it going to happen? All we know is it's going to happen at the end of the seven-year tribulation. But since we don't know when the rapture is going to happen, which kicks off the seven-year tribulation, we can't give you a date. Woe unto us that try to do so. But at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Jesus shall come with the armies of heaven and destroy the Antichrist and judge the nations. Matthew 25, 31 and 34 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What type of government? It's going to be what's known as a theocracy. A theocracy. It's considered to be the most perfect form of government. The problem is, you have to have the right person. Because if you have the wrong person... It's terrible, right? Like Nebuchadnezzar, off with their heads. But a theocracy is considered the most perfect form of government. And this government will be headed up by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will have absolute rule over every 
inch of the world. Revelation 19.15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. This isn't the Savior coming in a manger. This is our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming. And he says he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. That's who's coming. That's who's coming on a second coming. And he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And he's going to set straight any corruption that's seen, anything that happens, he's going to deal with it. So if you're tired of the way the world's going, and you're tired of the way governments are corrupt, and you're tired of big business taking advantage of you, and you hate the press, well, you'll be there. You'll be there in the thousand-year reign because you're a Christian. You'll be there to see it done righteously. You'll be able to see how a, a perfect king, sinless king, rules the nations. The angel told Mary, when you get into the Christmas story, the angel told Mary in Luke 1, 32 and 33, he says of this king, he will be great and he will be called son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Where's the seat of this government? It'll be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is to be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled, like we said. But then it will be rebuilt. And if you want to know how it's going to work out, if you want to know details, look to the prophet Isaiah, or excuse me, Ezekiel, prophet Ezekiel. Go to chapter 48 and read through verses 1 through 35. And you'll see exactly how this kingdom is going to be laid out. Precisely. All the borders. Who's going to be where and what. So there'll be a rebuilding of the nation Israel. There'll be a, a revitalization of Palestine. What will the character, what will this, this thousand years, what, what's it going to be like? Well, first of all, we know that Satan will be bound. Revelation 20, again, that, that chapter 20 of Revelation, verses 1 through 3 says that the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, will be chained and locked up for a thousand years. This is going to be the final test for everybody who's alive during that time. Every person. Not a redeemed, not a Christian, but those who have um, lived or populating the earth during this thousand year reign. Some of them may well be Christians, of course. But this will be the final test for those living. And you and I have absolutely zero knowledge of what it would be like to live in a world with no demonic influence. We, we don't have, we just don't have that. It's not in our, in our catalog. <laughs> we can't recall a time when there wasn't a demonic influence in this world. But there will be. People will have all the influence of the Holy Spirit and the presence, the physical presence of Jesus. Nations will go to Jerusalem. They will pay, pay homage. Yet, Guess what happens? The fallen nature of man will still exist and prove that the evil heart has not yet been eradicated. You'll have a revival of Palestine, as we said. There'll be a land of milk and honey restored to its former fertility. There'll be changes in the animal kingdom. Isaiah 11:6. The wolf shall lay down, or excuse me, shall dwell with the lamb. Not the lion, the wolf. 
The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Imagine that, wild kingdom, come to pass. Human life will be prolonged. Isaiah 65.20 says that a person who dies at 100 years old will be considered only a child. And something I learned, a sevenfold increase in light during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 30.26, moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days. And in the day that the Lord binds up the bruises of his people, he heals the stroke of their wound. So it's going to be a sevenfold. It's going to be much brighter, much a brighter world. <laughs> so there are brighter days ahead of us, I want to say. But it will also end in final judgment. Something you need to remember when you rub elbows with your unsaved friends and relatives, especially during this Thanksgiving and, and holiday season. Because there will be a final judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, Satan will be released, it says. Because the thousand years he's bound, but he will be released for a very short time. And he will lead a final revolt that will deceive the nations and those who have been living in false obedience to Christ during the millennium. They will expose through their allegiance with Satan. Once the opportunity presents itself once again they will be exposed and of course we know that there will be final judgment Revelation 20 12 and I saw the dead small and great standing before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works but the things which were written or excuse me by the things which were written in the books so after the final judgment uh, we don't have time to kind of go into all the details of that. The great white throne judgment. What's God going to have left to do? He's already said he won't flood the earth. He won't destroy the earth. Well, 2 Peter 3.7 says that the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So he's going to destroy. We say that this, when we say that this world is going to burn up, literally it is. And then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. That's all in the end of Revelation, by the way. A new Jerusalem. So we have an amazing future ahead of us, folks. But what happened with Nebuchadnezzar when he received this information? Back to our text for today, Daniel 2, uh, verses uh, 46 and 49. It says, Then Neb King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate, or prostrate, excuse me, Boy, bad choice of words. But I get to say it. Prostrate before Daniel. In other words, he worshipped Daniel. What a turn of events. What an extreme change. This king is now overcome by the wisdom contained in Daniel's interpretation. Think of what happens in the times that you spend in God's word. Or maybe the word is being preached and the, the Holy Spirit is active and moving sharply in your heart. And you just go, you're overcome by God's wisdom. You've had it many times. And if it weren't for me and my distractions, you may have had it today too. <laughs> but Daniel and his companions went from being on the king's chopping block, literally. <laughs> Remember, he said, I'll cut you in all different pieces. 
and I'll destroy your home. To having the supreme monarch of this golden kingdom on his face before him. The power of God to change history once again. You ever consider the power of a changed life? When you came to know the Lord, maybe you had a radical testimony. Maybe you've always been walking with the Lord. You've always been, uh, you know, grown up in a Christian environment. You don't need to have a radical testimony to be effective for the Lord, that's for sure. But in the Bible, we read often of the rare case where adults come to know the Lord. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has not yet done that. He's still polytheistic. But he's, he's on his way, I believe, to knowing God in a personal sense. And so, at this point, he commands that they should present an offering of incense to him. Now, however radical, and this was a radical thing, the king is now worshiping Daniel just like he would worship one of his pagan gods. So he's taken in Daniel now and he's placed him next to, you know, the prophet or the, 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 the god Bel or whatever. Um, so he's still, uh, what, what you would say maybe in modern terms is, is Nebuchadnezzar looks at Daniel and says, he's got some strong mojo. You know, he, he's, not, he, he's ready to bring some meat and some incense and place it before the young man from Israel, but he's not ready to acknowledge the God of heaven yet. And Daniel had been very sincere about this. He was always been very sincere about who it was that gave him the dream. So he's kind of, of course, he'd be appalled that this king would worship Daniel because it didn't come from Daniel, it came from God. It's a reminder for us. You know, if you do something for the Lord, uh, whatever it is, uh, you know, uh, keep in mind that it's, it's to bring glory to God. Whether you lead somebody to Christ, whether you witness for his good, whether you do a good work, which are part of you, that's the, the fruit of your, your life as a Christian. But me, be mindful that it's always for the glory of God. God will never share his glory. So we need to be very careful that we don't try to take credit for both the great and the small things that he does. In verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of the gods, nor small g, Lord of kings and revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. The king acknowledged God, perhaps again as an equal among the other pagan gods. And then notice what happened in verse 48. The king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. Remember, that was the promise that he gave to all his wise men. He said, if you tell me this, if you tell me my dream and its interpretation, I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to make you rich and powerful. Well, the king followed through on this. He promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler of the whole province of Babylon. This should remind you of the story of Joseph in Egypt. He made, Daniel was able to make him chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Now Daniel is going to be in charge of all those magicians and astrologers and everybody else. So he can, he can witness to them about God. We also see, uh, finally in verse 49, that Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs. He shared with his companions he was able to use now his new influence with the king to bless his companions and bring them into right into a place of influence as well. 
So we need to remember, uh, this is the end of our chapter here, but we need to remember that the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom on earth will take place. We can rest assured that God will gain victory over all the wickedness and the false worship of this world. The headlines that you're going to see when you go back out if you, if you venture down that road. Immorality, greed, covetousness, oppression, injustice, lawlessness, violence, brutality, slavery, murder, war, and all the other acts of wickedness that the news agencies make so much money off of. It will be abolished from the face of the earth. God's righteousness will cover the earth as far as the east is from the west. God will triumph over all unrighteousness and ungodliness of people when Jesus Christ returns to establish God's kingdom on earth. Revelation 11:15 it says then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever amen, amen. Well, let's get ready as we get ready to take communion this morning one thing i would like to say for anybody who hears my voice uh, if you're hearing it uh, on the through the internet later or anybody here Keep in mind that the stone of judgment, that is Jesus Christ, is coming. But we still live in a day where the rock of salvation is available to you. So what's it going to be? Are you going to wait for, this, for the, the judgment of the stone of Jesus? Are you, you going to be able to say, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength whom I will trust? Are you going to be able to say, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold? Is that who the rock is to you? Are you going to be able to say with Habakkuk, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, have you appointed, or you have appointed them for judgment, O rock, you have marked them for correction. Or are you the one who has done this already, or will you do this? Will you, will you lay your life? Will you fall on the stone as a broken person? Will you fall down before the Lord and repent of your sins and receive Him as your Lord and Savior? Matthew 21, 44, he says, And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. That's how we come to Him. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask, Father, now that we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord, I thank you for this reminder once again to come and just to be refreshed with our understanding of the great sacrifice that you've placed before us, Lord, as we come to take these communion elements. Lord, please give us in our hearts just a desire now again just to be still before you for a moment before we come up and receive the elements just a time to give you thanks to be reminded of your great goodness and your great love I'd like to invite you to come on up and take from the elements and return to your seat and we'll 
partake together. Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Next he said, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit from the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. His kingdom come. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's close today with a, a song Pastor John's going to lead us in. And then we will conclude our service.
shattered heart and make it beat again. Oh, you hold us all together in your hands. I surrender all I have and all I am. Jesus, you make all things new. God of mercy and love, do what only you can do. You make all things new. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you do, Lord, make all things new. Father, the death of your Son, Lord, shedding of blood, Lord, your salvation through your Son. Lord, we could sing the song of praise. Lord, we could have confidence, Lord, that you are making us new. You will continue to conform us into the image of your Son. You're not done with us, oh Lord. You are not done with us. Your love is forever, and your mercy So, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness, your mercy and grace, Lord. We just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go and grow in the mercy of God. Have a good week. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.